0: This is my interview with Zula Rabakoska, I'm incredibly excited about it. Her work is such an intersection of self-exploration and an attempt to make sense of what's going on out there. She uses her camera, she uses her hands, and she has such a deep compassion for humanity. It's It was an honour to sit and speak with her and I really encourage you to go and explore her work on her website and over Instagram. It has a real spice to it and a beautiful attention to detail and she seems to capture stories in their most, most authentic way. Enjoy this conversation. what it is that you actually do. And if you feel like you have a job title as well, what
1: that is. Absolutely. So my name is Zara Brykowska and I'm a Polish photographer and I'm currently based in in London. I've actually just moved back from living in Poland and completing a long-term documentary project about women and gender identity in former post-communist countries in Central and Eastern Europe. Wow you
0: just finished doing that do you say?
1: Yes uh, so I started 1st of July mm. and I spent 100 days on the road and interviewed and photographed 104 people across different countries um, and when I finished I went to see my girlfriend in Estonia mm. and then I flew back uh, I think it was last week it feels like last or the week before I, I came back to, to England uh, to London which is um where I am now trying to put all the, all the material together. Wow.
0: And the project is around um, gender identity. Is that what it is?
1: Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So I think that maybe it'll make sense for me to kind of delve in a little bit about myself and where the, where the idea came from and how it turned out to be. The way it did is it wasn't the initial plan when I was um, putting it together. So when I was 10, uh, my family and I moved from Poland uh, to the UK, first to Scotland and then to England. And I always felt that um, as a woman, uh, as a girl and then as a woman, um, as a person I'm still trying to figure out who I am exactly. I felt a little bit different to my inverted commas. You can't see me doing this, I guess, if you're listening. Western counterparts or the other people, most of my friends who are English or, or British or American. I always felt like there was something something else you know I grew up listening to stories with my of my grandparents telling me about the war and communism and Stalin and Lenin and communist parades that were obligatory and I think those stories even though my grandparents were physically in Poland when I was a teenager and a young adult uh, definitely influenced me and, and shaped me to who I am and there was this I guess inner desire to find out whether people who are similar age to me So born after the Berlin Wall fell down in 1989, whether they have similar obstacles or am I just kind of experiencing whatever I'm experiencing on my own. Mm. So I started uh, doing research and all of my projects uh, are very research driven. Mm. So I spend a lot of time reading uh, about the topic, finding out who else has worked on it in terms of um, other fields, you know, cinema, painting, not just photography, even though I'm a photographer. And I was really surprised that there is nothing comparative uh, that compares these countries that were formerly under the communist regime. There are local projects, for example, that focus on women in Romania or a specific community in Latvia, loads of stuff in Poland. But I couldn't find something uh, overarching um, that would kind of bring these countries uh, together. Uh, So I was like, great. Here's my chance. Uh, so it took me about a year and a half to secure funding. I ended up having three funders for this project um, as traveling for a hundred days to twenty different, 21 different locations uh, is not cheap. Uh, and I was shooting on film. So like an analog camera, uh, which obviously <laughs> meant that the cost of production were, were much higher. Uh, so essentially the aim was to photograph women and understood what is womanhood, what is, uh, what is femininity in these countries, as a lot, from my experience, have more restrictive beauty standards, treatment of LGBTQ communities, approach towards abortion, loads of differences and as i started interviewing people and working with people on ground uh people of uh that don't fit in the binary spectrum of gender that means either a man or a woman started to get in touch with me and it was an amazing surprise as i often saw it as something that's more prominent for example in the uk or the us or you know new zealand or australia so it was great to see such a diversity and variety of people contacted me. There were non-binary, gender fluid, transgender uh, people as well. So I just decided to open the project up. And that was an amazing move, I think, because it really meant that I was able to work with so many different other people that I, than I initially thought and uh, challenged the stereotypes that are associated often with Eastern Europe. I mean, as a photographer, I'm absolutely fed up of seeing, the same images of poverty, of snow, of cold, of those like big, uh, often Russian hats uh, that are often in the media, like those regions are very complex. They share a history, you know, for the better or the worse that ties them together, but they're very, very different. Um, So that's what inspired me to to work on this project in a nutshell. (laughs) Yeah, wow.
0: I feel that the history of Poland and Eastern Europe is incredibly different to the history of New Zealand. And sure. you mentioned communism. And I wondered, when did that period end? And how do you think that is, has impacted um, moving out of that as a person, as a woman, as reclaiming um, ideas? identity of like figuring
1: out who you are. oh sorry i've got a cat here and i'm allergic to cats so
0: apologies (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, so uh obviously communism in these countries started to come into power after world war ii after world war ii okay after world war ii so it went on on for a number of decades um and it was a a regime semi from russia which then became the ussr um, and those countries that I visited, some of them, for example, in the north of Europe, the Baltics, so Lithuania, Latvia and Estonia, were actually part of the USSR, whereas other countries like Poland, Czech Republic, or at the time Czechoslovakia were satellite states. So they were still influenced by what was going on then in, in the USSR, but um, technically they were not part of it, but actually in practice, they very much were. So the Berlin Wall was the kind of like a famous landmark, which went run through Berlin. So part of Germany was also uh, part of Eastern Europe. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. Um, so it started to come down in 1989. Um, and that was before that, since the eighties, there was a movement in Gdansk in the North of Poland called Solidarity Movement, which often is cited as uh, like the spark which eventually over the decade led to the to the fall of this uh, totalitarian regime uh, across the other countries but it didn't end all at the same time uh, in all of those different countries so 1989 was when the war fell but um it crumbled and uh, the ussr um i guess troops and power ended at different times depending on on the country so it wasn't just like, you know, oh, you're not. And it all ended. It was, a, it was a bit of a process. But 1989 is often the year that marks that that transition, which often resulted in countries like Poland. I was born in 1990, uh, you know, just this crazy mayhem of, I guess, uh, freedom for all. It was suddenly like a free market. People didn't know what to do. Uh, I have spoken with people, particularly in the north, like I've just mentioned, the Baltic states near the Baltic uh, Sea, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, where they remember the 90s as being, you know, just full of mafia and just kind of increasing gangs because people were trying to buy and sell, buy and sell something that wasn't uh, particularly possible in the same way uh, when communism was in place. So I get the sense that... Communism
0: was an extremely um, structured time and there was a lot of regulations and rules and kind of black and white ways of doing things. And it feels to me that there's a certain rebellion against that. And I wonder if you have seen that through your photography or the people that you've meet, met or heard their stories?
1: Um. Yeah, I think I understand what you're trying to, to answer and I, I think often with my work, I, my aim is to ask questions rather than, than give solutions or definite conclusions. So I'm not sure if I mentioned this, but everyone that I worked with was born in or after 1989. So the whole purpose was to meet with people who actually never lived directly themselves through communism, like myself. I never lived through it uh, personally. I don't have any direct memories of it, uh, but simply to understand how this generation post 1989, uh, some millen- millennials, and I guess Gen Z, um, as my youngest participant was uh, was 15, Um, to understand how their identity has been shaped by those stories that I mentioned from grandparents, from parents, from things that they find in the basement, from the overhang in in politics. I mean, most of these countries I have, for example, observed there is a really clear rise of right-wing nationalism. I don't know to what extent you know what's happening in in Hungary and in Poland right now, um, or in Romania and Bulgaria in terms of politics, but it's really really quite frightening i mean poland almost banned fully abortion and when i was living out there last year we were striking every day in response to to this ban uh they're also lgbt they call them lgbt free zones so the people will literally wear stickers in poland that will say like no lgbt uh, standard, which is legal it's against the human rights convention mm-hmm. in hungary they actually have propaganda around you know the capital of Budapest, which was say, you know, don't follow Brussels, what's happening in Brussels in in Belgium. It will also be anti-LGBT. And that's around the city. You know, it's it's I think almost impossible to get a mortgage or a loan if you're not in a heterosexual uh, marriage and if you don't sign a document this is in Hungary that you're going to have at least three children so it's really quite extreme and this is this is kind of like there's a wave of this right wing stuff that's rippling through uh countries which were formerly communist or under the uh, communist governments rather um which is yeah it's really scary uh in places like Romania and Bulgaria it's really difficult to to express your gender which is not binary and even if you are a man identifies a man and a woman or a woman and you don't fit in those conventional uh I guess you know macho for men uh and beauty standards uh damsel in distress that's pretty is gonna bear all the children look after the house you're gonna have a really difficult time so I think these are the trends that I that I observed which seem obviously it's not everyone. Not all the individuals that I've met. These are just the, the main themes that have come out from the people that I worked with and from what I observed, and comparing it to my friends and my circle here in in London. Um, so yeah, that's uh, yeah, kind of the the surface. And so my aim is when people look at these images, they're like, wow, you know, what's happening here? Uh, what what am I looking at? Um, And the equipment that I used to photograph this was actually a specific camera, which was made in the 70s uh, in a military factory, where they used to produce guns and tanks and ammunition. I actually don't know what they produce in military factories to be specific. But they also used that space to produce uh, photographic equipment. So I photographed on this camera, which was made in a military factory in what was at that time uh, USSR, modern-day Ukraine. and I photographed using this camera, uh, which results in slight damage, intentional damage in those images. And it was to have this metaphorical iron curtain imprinted in the in the images. I'm not sure whether the listeners or whether yourself are familiar with the iron curtain, so I can elaborate
0: on that yeah. and kind
1: of tell you a little bit more about that. So the iron curtain was the what? Um, I guess the term or the word people, or the two words people use to refer to the split between the Eastern and Western Europe during communism. Um, and like I said, it was the, the Iron Curtain, this divide between these two worlds, essentially between capitalism in places like France or Spain or the UK and what was happening in uh, countries like Poland or Romania or Bulgaria or, Lithuania uh, during communism. So yeah, it was a it was a play on on that essentially.
0: Yeah. Wow. Was the Iron Curtain an actual
1: thing, or is it was it like a? Uh, so like yeah, for example, in Berlin they they had an actual wall similar to what's happening in Palestine and Israel right now, where there's an actual wall physical uh, barrier which separated uh these two places the wall went through berlin but in in other areas it was uh just the national borders you know in some places there would be like a river or a forest which act as a as a border in some other places as borders go obviously with museums, it's a bit different because you're an island <laughs> um but uh you'd have a fence as well so it was a mixture of both
0: yeah and i understand that it's um the project has sort of stemmed from your own questions about your own place in Mm. in the world do you feel like it's it's opened up your eyes a little bit or like affirmed some sort of feelings of disconnect
1: in any way yeah i think it's done it's done both um so often when people think about the former eastern bloc or eastern europe um they think of those communist gray tall buildings i don't know if that's something that comes to mind but definitely in in places like the uk and france um the us as well the the, it's often these the visual language that is used to refer to these regions uses those communist blocks. And I actually grew up in one as a kid. Um, So when I started this project, I was like, right, I'm not gonna photograph any of that. (laughs) And it was really hard not to because they're everywhere. So I think there were, and this happened uh, kind of a lot, you know, I was like, I'm definitely not gonna do this because it's too predictable. And I actually got to a place I was like, actually, this is still a thing. So I kind of have to photograph it. Um, and I worked with different people in, in this project uh, who had different views of the world. But I also think it takes a kind of person who's gonna sit with me for, for an hour or two, or sometimes it was you know an afternoon uh, and tell me what it means to be a woman or a non-binary person and how they feel about the, their gender. So I think a lot of the people—not all of them, but a lot of people—that I was really privileged to to work with were really quite open-minded, and they had asked themselves that question and and what it what it meant. Um, so I think it opened me up, and I like to think of myself as quite an open person that's quite committed to to learning, you know, about myself and and about the world around me. But um, I think I definitely learned new things and now that you asked me this question I can't really come up with a with a list and it's um something that I'm also working through as I come to edit uh this project but I think I was surprised to what extent um and I guess I shouldn't me be surprised because that's definitely a thing important but in a lot of these places the influence of the of the church is still really really prominent so obviously in places like Bulgaria and uh, Romania is the Orthodox Church and Mm. Poland is the Catholic Church Um, and those institutions are really intertwined with politics and I think I was just really shocked to realize I knew it was bad but I didn't realize how bad and how extensive the corruption is uh, political corruption here that we're talking about in a a lot of those countries Um, so that was really yeah, pretty shocking. But at the same time, what was really pleasant to, to see was just uh, with most people that I was working with, just how much spark and fire they have in terms of trying to change the, the future and the country that they, that they live in. Yeah. So uh, when I spoke to queer people, for example, in, in the capital of Bulgaria and Sofia, they said to me, you know, it's not safe for us to hold hands when we go out in public because if we do, we risk being attacked spout on you know that kind of stuff um so I didn't realize to what extent it was like day in day out just how hard it was Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um so yeah mix yeah mix of things but I think it's a it's a project that was definitely changed me as a a photographer as an artist but also on a on a person level too yeah and
0: I understand you started something called the Red Zenith Collective, Mm. which is another platform on social media. And has that got a similar, they got a similar foundation or has that got a different sort of a
1: Yeah, I think uh, a mix, actually. So the Red Zenith, uh, I co-founded with my friend and colleague, Marta Marta Grabowska, uh, who at the time used to live in London, and we actually met for a different initiative when I was doing a talk about my work pre-COVID, when when things were open and and normal. Uh, So I met Marta there, and obviously when COVID started and things started to shut down, she's a curator and I work visually predominantly with photography uh we both were really feeling the frustration of being cut off from art circles and individuals and communities private views galleries exhibitions so kind of like a space to interact with other people but a space where people can show their work and we really wanted to tap into that space of the former you know eastern Bloc, central and central and eastern europe once again because that's that's our background um so we started the red Zenith, didn't really know what we wanted to do started by just sharing work of our friends and people we admired and we started to launch initiatives we had an um an open call i feel like it was well this year is really busy so i feel like the open call was last year and then we made our publication which is accessible for free on our instagram page um and that's for women and and non-binary people um who either are from or live in or work on topics related to central and eastern europe but at the same time if it was just a cis man who was working about women in uh you know lithuania we would love to hear from them from them too but specifically to champion the voices and issues and challenges related to to women and, and non-binary people yeah cool
0: that what that's what makes me happy hearing you speak because it seems like you've you've come out of Poland and you've grown up in England
1: sort
0: mm. of, and you're using that perspective to shine a light on the, the fact that there are issues And there is a other way to do it, and that this community of people's voices are important, and their identity is important, and their stories are important as well.
1: Yeah, and um, yeah, it was a mix. Like I just said to you, I just realised I use the word mix all the time, but I think that's just where I live at this mix of different, an intersection of different (laughs) things and thoughts. Yeah. Um, (laughs) <laughs> but I was carrying out research for this project for a very long time, and I actually started to have symposia and kind of meetings and and Zoom and start and Zooms, where I would invite people. Uh, at the start, it was women to talk about what it means to be from a post communist country and kind of gauge the interest. Like, is this interesting? Do people want to hear about this? And they were. And people, when I moved them to Zoom, were dialing in from all over the world. We had someone from California, um, from someone from South Africa. It was a real mix of and loads of people from Europe. Uh, so I was like, OK, I got to do this project. Uh, so when we start, started Red Zenith uh, and we would weekly feature artists, individuals, collectives, bookshops, uh, in central and eastern europe when i started the physical the practical output of my project i already was so well connected you know so i actually remember going to to a party in poland and meeting some of my project participants they were like oh hey you're from redzeniff and i was like oh <laughs> this is nice <laughs> <laughs> um so the two were very much intertwined and i think the way that i work my life is my work and my work is my life mm. um so now i've got better at kind of like taking breaks before i'd burn out whereas before i would just like work 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 and suddenly crash and not be able to do anything for three days so now i try to anticipate that um as they just feed into each other you know what i experienced as a as a woman growing up in in the uk fed into this fed into this project and now having done this project is going to feed into to me as a as a person but also as a as a photographer and the funding that I will be applying for in the future. But what was really amazing is that people like yourself reached out to me from all over the world and I'm really intrigued how they how they found this. And they were like, hey I, I want to participate. So I had people from Pakistan, from India, from New Zealand, uh, just in in a few of different locations and I was really sad to be like, I'm really sorry but I actually am in Europe specifically in you know Central and Eastern Europe where I can't come to you. Uh, but hopefully that interest and engagement and, you know, even us doing this podcast and having this conversation just shows that there is a need for those conversations yeah. to be had, which is, which is really great. What, what do you think it is? What do you think is the,
0: is below that because your work has stemmed from the Eastern Europe kind of thing, but, but what is it that people want? What are they coming
1: Seeking? Do you think? <laughs> Why well, they're coming seeking? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Good question. If I figure it out, I would be <laughs> <laughs> in, a, in a better financial position. But um, I think it's um, it's a catch twenty two. Like if you are uh, an Eastern European artist, like I, how I see myself living in the UK, on mm. one hand, I want to create work related to those topics because I feel that's my story. That's what I want to share. But at the same time, galleries, curators, publishers, networks expect me to make this work because I am Polish, you know? So if I was just like a white English man called James, it would be perhaps easier for me to work on topics like pollution or environmental damage. Whereas if like I'm a Polish woman, people are like, oh, why are you not working on Polish stuff? You know, luckily I am and it's what I'm interested in, but it's kind of like sometimes quite frustrating uh, so it's something that I like you feel with. it puts it. you
0: in a way do you feel that it puts you in a little in a in a hole like you, you
1: yeah like, which can be a bad thing but also a good thing you know so it's kind of like a double-edged sword I think I enjoy the space that I that I am in and I think I started off when I started in photography working on issues that were a bit more removed myself. I went to Palestine and worked with communities out there. I did a project in Indonesia and then over time I actually really really turned the lens inwards uh, metaphorically and practically and I did a project with my mum and my sister about what it's like to be an immigrant living in the UK I was studying for my M.A. in London in documentary photography at London College of Communication at that time. And it was the first time where we had those conversations and they really led to tears, you know, because it just felt like we were unlocking something in one another and speaking about these experiences, which were quite poignant. So I did a project called Citizens of Nowhere, which is a seven minute stop motion video. And I photographed my mum, my sister and myself. And on film, on analog film, and I soaked the film rolls from uh, in the salt water from the English Channel for different amounts of time, mm. and it was to replicate that idea of assimilation in the UK, you know, linguistically and socially and, and culturally. So the photos are slightly damaged. But I really wanted them to be in constant flux. The way I feel our identity is as immigrants living here, constantly, you know, changing and adapting and being questioned where your accent is from. So I wanted those photos to be in motion. That's why I created the stop motion, and you can watch that on my, on that on my website. But that project I was really—it's really. It. It's really yeah.
0: it's Did a, you watch beautiful. it? Yeah, yeah. I, I find yeah. it really um. Really moving. It it feels timeless and. Um,
1: Yeah. And I was really surprised when I did that, you know, and it was just like conversations with me my mom and and my sister. And then I recorded myself one time as well. And when I put it out there and people started to connect and it started to win awards and has done very well. um, And it was exhibited internationally. I was like, wow, okay, cool. People want personal stories. And I think there's definitely also that trend. uh, I don't know if I want to use the word trend, uh observation in in documentary photography particularly where people are really looking inwards and and sharing their personal experiences whereas before it was really normal for you know white person to be parachuted to Vietnam and kind of document there like it's not really a done thing anymore and people start to work differently and really think about the relationship between content and form and kind of what is in your picture and how is your picture made So I think that's why people are sharing their personal experiences and it was only after that project that I started to think about that I'm going to work on projects related to migration as I didn't really feel like it was my space to talk about that but after those conversations and that project I was like okay cool definitely is my space to to share what what I have been through Um, which led me to work on my next project which uh, was about the Vietnamese diaspora in Poland and that was a collaborative project um, and in between I did some other stuff with self-portraiture due to lockdown and actually not being able to photograph other people um, but uh, yeah this is my biggest project that I've just mentioned uh, nothing but a curtain that's the title of the one about gender identity in post-communist countries so I think all these projects you know lead to one to, to one another uh, in terms of what I learned in terms of practical skill, um, like how to organize project of such a scale uh, in terms of budget financially, how to find project participants, how to speak to people in a, in a way where they feel safe and, and trust me, uh, but also thematically, I think you know I wouldn't have been able to do the project I just did had I not done the one with my mum and my sister. So they all kind of like interlink from, from one another to one another.
0: Wow, that's really brave work because it started with you turning the mirror inward as mm. you
1: said,
0: and working yeah. from there. And it feels like there's is a larger scale movement where the for, the next great frontier isn't out there. It's not conquering, you know, moving forward and conquering the external world. There's it feels like there's a really large shift to observing our own internal states Mm. and our own um experience of the world and and working from there.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry, what were you gonna ask me?
0: Oh it's just like it feels like you set out to create work that um that you wanted, that you needed. And from there you bought the people.
1: And I think that those projects somehow I'm realizing this now uh, I've been realizing it for the last few years are the most powerful ones, the ones that it's just like, it's the, you know, it's the message and it's the, the stories that I want to get out that it's not about me almost. It's kind of like, like exactly, like you said, I need it for myself. I need to do this to, to make sense of the world. And I think that's how I've been treating photography, uh, just as a tool, as a method to kind of like engage with what's going on around me and and process stuff. And that's why with Citizens of Nowhere, that was a black and white project. It was a stop motion because that's what the story needed. Whereas with this one, nothing but a curtain, it was with this military camera made from that time. And I didn't tell you yet, but I actually made my own curtain. Mm -hmm. So each uh, person, the 104 of them, I asked to contribute a scrap of fabric to me, generally like a square, uh, 20 by 20 centimeters, but some people brought really big, you know, pillowcases and dresses and all kinds of stuff. And I actually sewed the fabric pieces together one by one to create this curtain. So I was thinking about this divide between the East and the West, which is now gone, you know, with European Union and open borders, well, bit different you know with what's happening right now in Poland and Belarus but generally uh, borders that you're able able to cross so that's why it was really important for me to do this project on public transport so I got buses and trains and I was figuring out actually how many miles do you use miles or kilometers in New Zealand because I've got both oh kilometers yeah Kilometers. So I traveled 7,325 kilometers <laughs> over 100 days. <laughs> I've got the miles too, if you need it. Um, so whilst I was doing that, you know, interviewing people, I was also sewing the fat pieces of fabric together and creating this curtain, which is now about like three meters by two meters. I actually need to measure it. Yeah. pretty heavy so I got rid of shoes clothes like I was literally by the end just had two tops and a pair of jeans uh because <laughs> I just had to get rid of so much stuff but the aim was to you know push the boundary of uh, just an image yeah. and I really wanted something else and I filmed myself sewing um so it had that performative element and I will uh compile the video I've got the first draft but it needs to be a bit better so I'll send it to you you know if you want to include it with them with the podcast but I would ask strangers on you know buses and trains being like hey would you mind filming me sewing and they were like "Well, she's crazy we better say yes because we don't know what's going to happen
0: <laughs> and
1: you'd um, be like oh, don't worry it's nothing but a curtain <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah exactly and that's what I would say and I think that's you know where the where the title um came from so I'm in the process of preparing for a, for a, an exhibition, hopefully lockdown will allow us to, you know, there won't be another lockdown and COVID won't stop me. I'm hoping spring 2022, uh, first of all, I will be launching it in, um, in London, but then I'll try to take the, the project to the countries where I where I visited, and hopefully, you know, make it more global. So, if any New Zealand institutions or publications you you know come come to mind that you think might be interested in hearing this, please let me know because I'd love for it to to be there.
0: Yeah, cool. I'll write, make a wee note. Yeah, it seems it seems like really powerful work, and I'm so glad that you're out there doing it. I'm glad that you're putting pulling in lots of different pieces. And it feels like you work in a really authentic way where you aren't trying to silo yourself or put walls up. And it's just following one thing leading into the next and finding that balance and finding what needs to be worked on and what doesn't need to be
1: worked on. And that Mm.
0: seems, it's really inspiring for me. (laughs)
1: oh thank you do you work creatively I didn't ask you what do you do
0: I'm a nurse I'm a nurse so it's that's my that's my daytime job and that's incredibly structured and hour by hour orientated but um on the sideline I write and and do these interviews and um yeah like yeah just like blurring the line between between the different parts of
1: my life is is something that i'm interested in at the moment and trying to bring I think that's really beautiful and it's important to you know to dabble in, in those things i you know i work with photography but i also do so many other things mm. and i think covid definitely taught uh, freelancers that you can't have all of your eggs in one basket yeah. And I was on photography forums in lock, first lockdown last year who were working for 30, 40 years and mm-hmm. they ended up working in Amazon warehouses and deliveries because they just lost all of their clients. Mm-hmm. And before I came into photography, it took me a while to find my path. but I actually used to work in finance. I used yeah. to be a, a risk analyst. and I just carried on doing photography on the side and being creative and I had to get out of finance and I and I did. And I remember it was uh, Christmas Eve, 2016. And I, you know, was waving my badge around and I just couldn't wait to hand it in. And I just hadn't been, it was one of the happiest days of my life. I worked <laughs> there for a year and a half. Um, and then I still wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Before that, I taught English abroad, moved around. I used to live in the French Caribbean for a while. And I started working in startups and kind of operations because I've always been quite good at managing stuff, which was very handy in this project, you know, like managing timelines and kind of keeping it flowing. But the even the I guess the freedom in startups wasn't enough for me. And I think it took me a while. I started doing evening classes and turning that hobby and something that I did on the side is photography which I used to do and have a passion for when I was a teen and then I was just too scared to pursue it uh, at university and kind of make a career out of it but it caught up with me found me (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't escape it which is um yeah which is where I am now and um yeah thinking about my my next steps but I think 2022 wow just around the corner isn't it Mm. is going to be my year where I exhibit where I kind of try to give this project uh life Mm. and get it out there and hopefully the year after so 2023 it will be a year where I can make uh another another project but it takes yeah takes time it doesn't doesn't happen overnight Mm. but saying that I just feel like sometimes projects happen to me and I find myself in a situation and I'm like, right, gotta do this. So last year when I was living in Poland, I went to visit my granddad and uh, in this village where we're from, of like 200 people. And during World War II, uh, it used to be on the border with Nazi Germany and German occupied territory. So essentially they were almost like two countries with two separate governments. And I don't know why a border was running for a village of 200 people, but it did. Um, So my granddad's childhood, when he was like five, six years old, you know, he remembers this border and how people are literally sneaking across the border from their, I don't know, one grandparent to the other because the village was divided. So I uh, made a film. Because yeah. uh, I was just there and he started telling me stories and taking me to, you know, these fields and would just say, this is the border. This is where the German, you know, Nazi Germans used to just shoot us. And I was like, OK, I'm recording this. Um, so, yeah, you can also have a look at that. It's on my website. I've got a section called Films and it's called The border Line because <laughs> it's about a, a line which was a, was a border. So this project, you know, it was it had no budget. Uh, I shot it over I think three days yeah. and I was coming back to the UK and I was in quarantine and I was like okay cool well, I've got two weeks I'm in quarantine might as well edit it <laughs> <laughs> So that's how that film happened in planet and I just responded and decided to to, to record it but you know at the same time I'm always around with my camera, my microphone, my kit just in case. Yeah, just in case. That's right. You never never know when a story's gonna emerge. And that was yeah, that got um shown in a festival in Finland and in Sweden this year, which was yeah, which was super exciting. Wow. That is brilliant. I want I wondered if you have
0: any any notion of what you feel your next project was do you it's going to be like do you have any just a whisper that's going on maybe over <laughs> <here>. <laughs>
1: yeah I think I would really like to continue this idea of womanhood and gender identity in, in other regions and I was thinking about former Yugoslavia yeah. so kind of contemporary Croatia Serbia uh, Slovenia so very close geographically where I was but I would need to think about this and the research, the history more in depth. Uh, as it, like I said to you earlier, I think there's a, yeah, people want to share their stories with, with, with me. Uh, but the methodology would depend on, on, you know, the story. I wouldn't use the same camera. I wouldn't be making a curtain. Mm-hmm. It would have to be the the topic that would, that would drive it. So that's something that that's, I've got on the, on the back burner. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think right now I'm creatively very spent. I think I don't think I've taken any images since I finished, which is really shameful. But I just I just don't have the I've taken like you know, commercial images, but not once for for any project projects. As I think I just need to kind of make some space in my brain to to think. Um so yeah, hopefully I'll be able to do that in 2023 and get some funders because that's a that's the main thing it's not something that I'll be I'd be able to do but maybe there'll be a surprise project like the one that I did with my granddad you know who knows <laughs> yeah that's right
0: yeah well, it's, it's super cool maybe what's sprung out of this conversation for me it's maybe there's a platform that I need to create around um and and it, I feel like we didn't really go into it in this conversation but it is around what it means to be a woman and what it like the past and how it's informed where we are right now and any yeah like like not quite don't think I've quite got the words for what that question is Mm. but um, it's super exciting talking to you that you've started platforms from your own feeling of what's out there and also what's inside
1: and Mm. yeah Yeah. absolutely
0: yeah and then also that topic of abortion which is scary that it gets regulated
1: Mm. yeah it's really terrible in poland right now i think they're trying to pass a law where every pregnancy has to be registered so even if a woman has a as a miscarriage i mean this is very different topic to to (laughs) but i guess related to to what's happening in contemporary poland but if there's a miscarriage you know a nurse like yourself could be prosecuted potentially uh, they're really it's really kind of getting a tyrannical state and it's not just in Poland it's other places too but Polish politics and culture and society are the one is the one that I'm the most familiar with and I feel like I can comment on more than other places so yeah it's um, it's really worrying yeah cool do you want to say where people can find you yeah absolutely so i am very active on instagram stories uh and people so you know if you want to say hello please don't be uh, afraid drop me a message i'd love to chat to you the way that we connected you know all the way from from new zealand i think uh that's a great thing that came out of covid that covid that people more than ever i think are building these trans uh atlantic uh connections across different countries and and continents so yeah hopefully there'll there'll be more of that yeah exactly I really enjoy looking at your instagram stories oh thank you so much it makes me really happy to hear that that it's not just my sister and my friends watching them yeah that's right okay it's lovely chatting with you